a business owner of an aquaculture company, how can you take the first step to be profitable and sustainable at the same time? That's what we're going to be talking about in this episode. Hello, and welcome to the Business of Aquaculture podcast. This is the podcast for the sustainable business movement in the aqua farming and ocean ranching industries. This podcast aims to amplify the voices of entrepreneurs addressing the United Nations Global Goals, aka Sustainable Development Goals number 14, to conserve and sustainably use the oceans and the seas. Listen in to fellow business aquaculturists in their journey in this new model of food production of making their business sustainable and help the ocean's ecology while also making a profit all at the same time. Get inspired to learn how even small to medium businesses can make an impact to save the seas, leave a legacy, and have a better quality of life. One of our goals is you take away a nugget of wisdom that will help your business move from the industrial revolution to business 5.0. Our vision is that of collaboration in the aquaculture industry. I'm Lourdes Gant, your host. As a business owner of an aquaculture company, how can you take the first step to be innovative and help the environment at the same time? That's what we're going to be talking about in these episodes. Welcome to Episodes 2, Season 7 of the Business of Aquaculture podcast. This episode, we have Mihir Prashad, CEO of umamimeats.com. Welcome to the show, Mihir. Thanks very much. Glad to be here. So happy that you're here today. Umami Meat's vision is cultivating and envisioning the future of sustainable seafood. So listen in and I hope you enjoy this episode. Mm -hmm. If you listen to our first episode, I talked about the future trends in the fishing, aquaculture, and food industries that I shared during the International Conference on International Trade in Marine Life and Fisheries held on March 25 to 26, hosted by Hidayatullah National Law University in Raipur, India. But for now, Mihir will share with us their cultivated, not caught yellowfin tuna, red snapper, and Japanese eel. They are developing the delicious, affordable, healthy, cell-cultured seafood that provides conscious consumers with a more sustainable alternative to wild-caught and farmed fish that is better for them, for our oceans, and for our planet. That's kind of a mouthful, but thanks again for being here on the show, me here. So let me get this show started by asking, how did you get into the alternative food industry? Actually, believe it or not, from the traditional food industry. So I'm a biochemist by training and born and raised in the U.S., didn't have a lot of exposure to seafood, but started working at a venture studio called Early Charm Ventures, which is based in Baltimore. And the concept of a venture studio is you find tech that's from universities and figure out how to build companies around it. Uh, And so I got involved at a very early stage with the National Aquarium and with some technologies that were developed by universities in collaboration with that. And kind of fell into seafood, Uh, started working on vaccines, diagnostics, other kinds of technologies for fish farms. And I think through that really developed a passion for working in food. I think it felt more real and more tangible for me in terms of potential impact than working in human healthcare, where things can take a decade to see any real positive outcome. And from alternative food, I think I I was on that journey for about three years and started to see recurring challenges. You know, working in disease management for fish farms, you start to see things like evolution of these disease pathogens every year. And so all the hard work that was done to develop a new product essentially has to be redone on an annual basis to keep up with these evolutionary challenges of pathogens. 
Um, and that started me thinking more and more about how we could build something that would be sustainable long-term. Because I think if you're always having to fight an evolving pathogen, all you have to do is get it wrong once and you have kind of a catastrophic impact on the food system. Amazing. Just amazing. Sometimes I get, what's the word? Inferiority complex when I talk to technical people. So let me just actually do a spiel of your background. You mentioned a little bit, but Mihir has an academic background in protein biochemistry and has spent his career working to commercialize deep tech innovations to address humanity's grand challenges. Most recently, he was a venture partner at Early Charm Ventures, where he led the commercialization of university spin-outs at the intersection of biotechnology and aquaculture. He is also the author of Cultivated Abundance, a book that outlines a framework for entrepreneurs to leverage transformative technologies to build an inspiring abundant future for humanity in his free time and this is my favorite about your profile he enjoys climbing mountains scuba diving and exploring the remote and wild corners of the world and your favorite seafood dish is grilled ma'imahi and favorite sea creature is octopus <laughs> so thank you for sharing that about yourself I always like knowing the people behind the technology the people behind the business so maybe you can share with our audience, what drove the mission of Omami to serve as a gateway for evolution that builds on our deep oceanic heritage to create a healthier, more sustainable, and flavorful, flavorful future for all? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think coming from working with traditional seafood production gave me a real respect for the way that we feed the world today, right? And I think the culture of seafood and aquaculture, at least not modern aquaculture, but maybe the, the more uh, artisanal old school way of, of, of raising fish is, is thousands of years old. And there's cultures that have been built around seafood. But I think most of humanity were tied to the oceans, were tied to living close to the water for food, for transportation and everything else. And so when we wanted to build a company that would help us to produce sustainable seafood in a different and hopefully long-term sustainable way, we didn't want to leave behind the culture and tradition that makes seafood so special to our culture uh, and to many of our cultures. And to me, that's really important because in growing up as an Indian in America, one of the strongest ties I had to my home country and that culture was the food. Um, and that was one of the closest ties that I had. And I think that's true for many people. Uh, and so I think it's really important to preserve that kind of heritage for people wherever they may be. Uh, it's also, I think, the biggest barrier to change when you start talking about creating new food. And new food, new in food is scary, I think, in a large part because food is so core to our identities uh, and our cultural sort of ties to our ancestors or to where we come from. And I think many people feel put off by being asked to give that up for saving the planet or for uh, animal welfare or whatever reason may be given. And our thinking is that we can do both. And actually the whole goal of alternative protein should be to do both. Help us to preserve that culture and that heritage, but to do it in a way that will keep us fed for the next few hundred years. Thank you for sharing that. It's so true what you mentioned about the ties we have with the, I guess, original culture where we came from, coming from the Far East. I think food has become a really big ingredient, pun intended, on how we connect with people. So thank you for yeah. bringing 
that up. But it got me thinking when you were talking about new aquaculture and artisanal aquaculture. I love that because when I talk about, well, our industry is a very brick and mortar, I call it, but I love your wording, artisanal. And so maybe you can give me a little bit of a background in terms of, because I also saw on your website when you were talking about how much carbon emissions aquaculture is actually doing in the industry. So maybe share with me a little bit of technicality in terms of why you thought that. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, data and seafood is potentially less robust than for land-based agriculture. So we have to extrapolate a little bit more looking at the potential impacts of what we do today. But I think it's pretty easy to see that when we have ships trawling the oceans, burning bunker fuel, that we're producing carbon and that those ships are having to travel sometimes halfway around the Pacific Ocean to catch tuna or um, in the case of eel, we're catching them in rivers and air freighting live animals around the world, where they're then farm raised. And most of the emissions in aquaculture are actually coming from the feed, right? So they're coming from the, the fish and the energy used to produce the pellets and the other feed components that go onto the farms. And that dwarfs the aerators and the water pumps and everything else in terms of energy requirements. So in a way, we have kind of a twofold challenge, which is aquaculture can help us to more sustainably and locally produce food compared to wild fishing beyond sustainable limits, but it has its own challenges when it comes to emissions and to where you can even put it, right? I mean, you can't necessarily put aquaculture farms close to major cities if you're worried about electrical cost, if you're worried about land cost. And so then you still have that transportation hurdle to overcome. Uh, and with wild catch fishing, we see more and more sustainability challenges related to bycatch, related to catching of non- kind of reproductive age juvenile animals that are depleting the ability of stocks to re, re, uh, kind of replace themselves back to normal levels. Um, and I think there's no one silver bullet solution here. I think we're going to need better versions of what we do today in addition to new technology to feed growing mouths, a growing population, growing demand for seafood. It's not like cultivated or any new technology is going to replace 200 million tons of production overnight, right? This is a decades long conversation that we're having about how we build for the next generation and the generation after that. Wonderful. I was thinking about that because I also saw on your um, information about having partnerships. And I was talking in the conference that I was in about most of the people in our industry were talking about the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals number 14, which is life below water, but forgetting number 17, which is partnership for the goals, which I think now on hindsight, since I started this show two years ago, that was my main focus. But now it's actually morphing into, you know, if we just work together, as you mentioned, looking for solutions for everybody and then have one voice to move the industry forward, it'll be faster. So thank you again for mentioning that. And in segue, which leads to my next question, maybe share with our audience the partnership opportunities that Omami has. I love that because it supports the UN SDG 17. Yeah, I mean, I think I think there's there's many of these, and and one that in seafood goes untalked about is the impact on small rural communities if we start industrializing and and strengthening large scale fishing. And, you know, there's there's a billion people whose livelihoods are in some way tied directly to an ocean going community, uh, whether that's fishing or whether it's near shore farming or some some version of that. Um, and I think it's really important to think about the kind of impact we're going to have and how we can help create good jobs even as we're potentially increasing the technical hurdle 
to using these new technologies, right? If you need a stronger background or more schooling or something to be able to get into the new technology versus the old uh, old ways of doing things, um, that's certainly a challenge uh, that we have to think about. But Umami Meets is really focused on developing the core technology layer that will enable traditional industry to produce cultivated as one additional supply source, particularly focused on endangered species that can't be farmed at scale. So our vision is that we start working with species where traditional industry has a challenge because you can't catch enough. People are demanding more. And so prices are becoming volatile, supply is becoming volatile. Um, and you can't put it on shore and build rafts or build ocean farms because we don't know how to close the life cycle and to do that cost effectively yet. So our goal is to become almost like these RAS technology providers where we can come to a, a production uh, company and say, we can help you to make eel and unagi available globally with localized production. And we have a standard plug and play production solution for that. Um, that's a journey, right? It's not plug and play today. And there's a lot of work that goes into finding the right local application to be successful in a market. Uh, you know, eel in Japan is almost always grilled and in kind of a teriyaki style sauce, um, called kind of kabayaki style unagi. But then if you go to Northern Europe, eel tends to be smoked. Um, and if you go to other cultures and you look at trying to sell even a single tuna, uh, how many different ways that product will get sold and, and put in different kind of culinary contexts. So we also look downstream then at companies that are making these final applications of seafood products to create the applications that are going to inspire consumers to buy that fish and to feel good about what they're buying. Um, I think even in Asia, it's becoming less and less common to sell whole fish and have people then process and cook and everything at home. It's more and more about creating something that's easy and simple for consumers. And so I think we look for partners who help to produce the products and then also who help to make the right versions of what can go to a consumer. Uh, that will win their trust to help them see cultivated as one more way they can get seafood. That's just brilliant. It's such a brilliant business model. That's why I know that you guys are also fundraising and you just finished your Series A. So are you doing Series B now? No, we're actually uh, in the middle of raising our, our Series A. So that'll be uh, that'll be ongoing through the rest of this year, uh, kind of that phase. And then I think Series B, you know, we'll see. Sounds uh, great. Well, good luck with that. Well, thank you so much for being on the show, Mihir. The biggest takeaway I have from our conversation was just the branding of it all when you were talking about artisanal and then the new technology in aquaculture. I think we're forgetting sometimes that the story matters. I talk about people behind the technology, but the story that these people tell is also very important in our industry. So thanks again. How can they get in touch with you? Or you can find me on LinkedIn at Mihir Prashad or reach me by email, Mihir at umamimeets.com uh, or reach out to us through our website and uh, it'll find its way to me. So Mihir's website is umamimeets.com. That's U-M-A-M-I meets M-E-A-T-S dot com. Thanks everyone. See you all next week and do leave a review of the podcast and know that you help build a home in the Philippines every time we launch an episode via B1G1. Bye now. Thanks again, Mihir. Right, thanks. Thank you for listening and I hope you are inspired from this episode. Do take a moment and share this with your friends and colleagues and rate and review the podcast wherever you get your podcasts. I'd love to know what your biggest takeaway from this conversation has been. What are you going to do differently? 
please share your thoughts across social media and tag us. For links and show notes for this episode, visit our website, www.sustainableaquaculture.ca slash podcast. Thank you again. I hope you will join me on the next episode and together we can help create a better business in aquaculture.